When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I hope you guys enjoy that new intro we had coming. And at the top, I wanted to mention that I... uh, I misidentified Mount Rainier yesterday as being in Oregon, not Washington. And uh, within like an hour, many, many people corrected me and uh, sent me beautiful pictures. And I felt very ashamed. I did not know that that gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous piece of geography was in Washington. And I will never forget it. Never. I feel like that is like somebody saying like the Empire State Building is in Chicago or something. <laughs> that That's that's fair. And you also have to consider that regionally, you know, there might be like a, a little bit of a Washington, Oregon showdown. So mm. I was honestly just flattered. And I told somebody this, that we have such a strong Pacific Northwest contingent that is so reactive. That makes me feel great. Yeah, <gasps> so keep it, keep it keep it national, keep it international. Exactly. Yeah. So today we are going to start by talking a little bit about uh, the meltdown with New York City's mayoral race. This is worth talking about because it's pretty alarming and and similar to some previous issues that have sort of cast some doubt and issues on the electoral process. And then we're going to talk about some updates with the investigation into January 6th. Caitlin, how have you been doing with this heat? Oh, my gosh, it's so terrible. Like, I, I cannot. I'm. I was not built for for heat. I wasn't built for cold or heat. I'm built for exactly four degrees between 68 and 72. I would like to, I will take no further questions at this time. Thank you. Yes, perfect. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm like really not looking forward to uh, my utility bill when it comes. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I don't have to think about that, that I can delay that. So as we mentioned about a week or 10 days ago was New York City's potential. Oh, sorry. Sorry to work. So the ranked choice tabulation for New York City's potential mayor has taken on some Iowa caucus energy. So the city's board of elections began the ranked choice tabulation. So I believe this means starting to look at everybody's second choice. Right, Caitlin? Yes. Got it. And so as that was happening, very quickly, it started to look like Catherine Garcia had come within 2.2 points of Eric Adams. Well, Maya Wiley was also really closing in um, something that looked really a, a dramatic turn that people hadn't been expecting. 
But then people started noticing that this was based on way more votes that were even cast on Election Day. It wasn't a particularly high turnout race. And uh, it turned out that the city's Board of Elections never removed the 135 test ballots. So kind of like sending out a test email, but 135,000 of them. We still don't know the accurate result of this tabulation, but I think we will today. I checked right before the podcast. I don't know. I don't have a ton of faith in that, but even after the Board of Elections sorts through this tally, it then has to count around 124,000 Democratic absentee ballots, which I've heard lots of theories about. Uh, certainly that a good chunk of those, Maya Wiley's campaign, thinks could go their way. Uh, and then there will be additional elimination rounds, meaning that we might not know who our next mayor is until mid-July, and we're not even in July yet. We've also started to see some concern from Adams supporters that Garcia, a white woman, closing in as second choices were counted amounts to the ranked choice system, diluting the voices of voters of color. But again, this is this is based on an outcome that is not correct right now. And we don't know where this is going, but it was a pretty eventful few hours. Um, There was. Kind of like the Iowa caucus, it's like it's hard to think of a more important time for the New York City Board of Elections to have been on its game. Do you I mean, agree? The New York City Board of Elections has been shit for years and everyone who's voted in New York City a few cycles knows this. This is yes. just fundamentally true. What is their problem? Uh, top problem. <laughs> oh, I was about to say like top. Like we're going to need a ranking for this. I, for, um, for election day, I did. My polling place ran great. And it obviously, it obviously has nothing to do with the poll workers. Um, no, in fact, I was temporary yeah. and usually cycle through repeatedly. Um, right. I trained to be a poll re- worker. So like it's it's uh, it's also a very exhausting gig. Um, and I've been uh, to poll closings and with election lawyers on election night, just checking counts and the whole deal. Overwhelmingly, it really comes out down to um outdated and outmoded um systems it comes down to the fact that this was a new um tabulation system that they'd never run before it comes down to the fact that the i mean the boards themselves are also like run by counties and each county is like i don't know if you've met new york it's like horribly corrupt like it's always a mess like there's not a very strong nonpartisan uh organization for it they it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's been a mess for a very long time. Like I've been having these discussions with people for well over a decade. It is just, it's just so normal. Um, and, uh, for it to be completely utterly fucked. So, you know, there's, there's to some degree, there's a little bit of like crying wolf here because it's like, well, the wolf has been coming in and we like know it and it's our friend. And like, we've been having discussions and like occasionally like sacrificing a chicken to it or some shit. Like this has been what it is. Like we've known this for a long time. So um, last night, uh, a consultant and like complete expert. And I've met him a ton of times, Jerry Goldfeder. Um, was on New York one and was talking about like, I wouldn't worry about this. Like I wouldn't, I don't see this as like anything super out of the ordinary. Um, And I was like, yeah, it just didn't feel, I was like, okay, they cocked up. Like that's so normal. Okay, cool. We're going to get an answer. What Um, what is the worry that, that this has, what was he cautioning against worrying about that? Like what had happened last night means that this election is like ruined and not trustworthy. Uh, I mean, if we started going around to everyone that every election that New York City Board of Elections fucked with somewhere somehow, like we would never have had an, a fair election ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, let's just we, we the I think that what it was cautioning against is like 
starting to think conspiratorially. Um, And I find it problematic that there is a campaign that's kind of putting that out there and suggesting that like there's a racial reason for this when 80% of ballots had a second choice. Like it's a very high proportion of people who chose more than one person. And that does not automatically mean um, that the, the black person losing votes. I mean, the initial tally um, Adams and and after the recount, which makes sense, like that it would the numbers would even out and and come clearer. Adams had twenty eight point eight percent of the vote um, according to the the day of tabulation. Once it was all assessed, early vote, everything settled. So like I think about that and I think you know like you weren't that's seventy percent of people who weren't voting for you, dude. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty reasonable proportion if people get to make any set of choices that they want, you know, instead of a zero sum campaign. Um, So people really have to keep that in mind. Like RCV is not going to look like a zero sum campaign and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. expect the numbers to come out like that unless someone's just like crushing the field and there's no real option outside of that person. Yeah. It seems like as more people have gotten engaged with politics, everyone's like, Oh shit doesn't work well in New York city. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work that well. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
So for our next topic, we're going to talk a little bit more about January 6th and uh, how we're going to investigate it. So after Senate Republicans filibustered the creation of a 1-6 commission to investigate what led up to the Capitol attack, the House is moving forward with its select committee that I believe it's going to vote on today, maybe by the time you've heard this. So Nancy Pelosi decided that Democrats could choose eight members and Republicans could choose five of this panel. But Pelosi says she might appoint a Republican to fill one of her spots, making the breakdown seven to six. I when I realized I had you today, I realized I could play the hardest game of would you rather for Caitlin, which is which Republican would you choose (laughs) to be on this panel? (laughs) She can't. She can't. You know, it's like a, it's like a fuck Mary kill where like all the answers are just like put a bear trap in your. <laughs> I mean, like, truly nothing, nothing good can come of this. Um, I don't know how we're going to get six Republicans, even that Republicans will pick. But yeah, talk about the hardest game. Would you rather ever? No, but it, the to some degree, even holding the space out just continues to be this kind of bizarre set of assertions that like does not recognize the moment we're in again i continue to be like imagine like holding this kind of space for Mm -hmm. like confederates like really really think about that like if lincoln been like let's make sure we can do that like imagine if the the congress was like i know y'all left and formed your own government but let's get you back to the table let's continue talking with you like are you fucking shitting me like these, every single one of them is implicated. Anyone who voted for, uh, like, if you haven't left the Republican Party, I'm sorry. You care more about your own power than you do about the country. I don't believe you. There is, there's no. <laughs> I can't. I can't be like, well, looks like y'all, y'all have some good decency there. Like, right. it's over. It's done for me. I, I, I mean, if I had to choose one, I guess I could go with Adam Kinzinger. Mm-hmm. He wants it so bad. He does. But at the same time, fuck all Republicans. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, literally, like there are people suing. I think the bus driver that was basically harassed from the Biden Harris campaign in Texas and they're suing. And the thing that they found that they can sue over is literally called the the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 because they were like harassing election activities. And that's how that is punishable. So when your supporters are literally getting sued under a Ku Klux Klan, act, <laughs> like, yeah, maybe some, maybe some self-reflection. I don't know if we necessarily need to uh, make space, but obviously what the reason she's doing this is not because she loves Republicans, but she's probably doing this because she hopes it'll give the committee more legitimacy with some Republicans. This seems like it's done, but I guess I guess more more broadly, you could look at it that even if the Republicans of today or are completely incorrigible and they don't even claim people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, maybe if they sign off on this, then people that are reading about it in 25 years will say, oh, look, it's it's bipartisan. You're shaking your head. Years, it'll be a country 25 years if you don't stop the entire thing. Democrats like this is it's just like the dumbest thing. I just I'm so sorry. This is literally so insanely stupid i cannot go without it like republicans should be ejected from government this is i i know i like to imagine 20 or 50 years from now or 25 years from now where it's like the country is literally up in flames because of climate change and republicans run everything because they've stolen it and uh they're just like what over there nothing's happening that's just that's a bonfire talking about space arcs that get you know funded by by the bezos foundation for rich people to get off the planet like, right. that's, that's 
not where we're headed in 25 years. Like, stop. <laughs> I know that's, that really is their justification. It's like our supporters can just get out of Dodge. The ones we care about, the ones that, uh, that support us. But I mean, so for his part, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, he's being urged by other House Republicans not to appoint any Republicans to this committee. Um, I, I don't know if he'll take that route, but I realize like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's stripped of her committee assignments, but I guess that doesn't stop him from giving her new ones. So she could theoretically be put on this committee. I mean, it would be an epic troll from Republicans, but it would just signify again to Democrats like your opposition is unserious. They're not like the the fundamental truth is Democrats should should be making this about like who wants to get to the truth of an insurrection that almost murdered us and not like, oh, we need to make sure that like Republicans are on board. Like, fuck that noise. It's very obvious. Everyone should be on board. This should this should not be an up for discussion. We should not be having like and Steve Scalise. I'm going to bring this up every single time because no one ever does. And it never becomes part of his narrative in any meaningful way. But this is a man who said when he was running for office that he was David Duke without the baggage. He's straight up a white supremacist. There's not there's there's no he unambiguously he himself calls himself a white supremacist. Like, yeah, he is saying, "Do not vote for this." He's the the he is a whip. I think. Like, what what is this? Is leadership like leadership in the House is white supremacists on the Republican yeah. side? They're straight up. Like, you should just assume when I say that. Like, these are people are equivalent to the '60s Klan, the '20s Klan, the seven, 1870s Klan. Same fucking people. There's no difference between them. You can argue about it as much as you want, but the white citizens councils are exactly Steve Scalise's energy. And if you go look that up, I, um, like go Google white citizens council like that. That is where we're at right now. I wish that 10 Republicans in the Senate had voted for this, if only because that would mean we didn't have to deal with the House's madness. Like, I feel like some of them are probably regretting it. Like, oh, God. So this isn't a perfect example to demonstrate why splitting it anything 50-50 in either of our legislative chambers is kind of ridiculous, but it's it's related. So not only did many members of the party encourage the insurrection, but they don't even represent 50% of Americans. We have talked about this in the Senate a ton as we've been talking about the filibuster and citing the fact that people in the Senate, uh, Democrats represent 41, I think at this point it's 43 million more people. And with the, But with the Senate, it's like there's two from each state, we love DC statehood, but there's not much you're going to change there in terms of representation. The house is very different. Uh, Caitlin, when I asked for some fresh topics for people, they said uh, they just wanted to hear like more deep dives from you. And one person specifically asked you to elaborate on the reapportionment act of 1929, because we've dropped it in a couple episodes and promised to come back to it. So I thought we could uh, squeeze it in here. So today feels like the day to break down what it is, why it happened and how it hurts democracy. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> reapportionment act of 1929. This is so exciting. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you to this person. Um, okay. So basically at the turn of the century, last century, oh my God, I just lit. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> at the turn of the 20th century, um, America was getting like real diverse. It was getting all these immigrants, like many of you guys have. If you're American, you're probably thinking, wow, this is probably around the time that my family's story in America starts. A lot of people, huge, huge flows of immigration came in. A lot of people were fleeing Europe. 
Um, there are people fleeing lots of places, but overwhelmingly it was European immigration. Um, there's a lot of Irish immigration had really like peaked like mm, earlier, but it, there were new waves of Irish immigration. Italian immigration was really big. Eastern Europe, lots of people fleeing persecution, specifically Jewish people. Yeah, this is that's when the Dubermans arrived. Boop, boop. 1909. Um, and and that's that's usually, you know, that's where people have their Ellis Island stories, etc. And it changed the face of the country in the sense that, um, you know, a, America had thought of itself mm, as a white Protestant small town kind of place. Um, and then there were all these Catholics and uh, Germans. I'm kind of confused as to like what the big deal was with Germans, but like, I guess they didn't speak English and they loved beer. And that was like a big thing. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, prohibition was also like the, the, um, temperance was also a big movement at the time so that might have had something to do with the whole like not liking the beer and the drinking and the sausages yeah. and then we got really mad at germans and like a, like yeah. a decade later i unfortunately they were mean to dachshunds around that time that it's was very, very bad and, yeah. and wrong no one should be mean to to dachshunds i mean the whole the, there were worse there were worse offenses during that I time mean, but yes. but yeah the paint the, the picture is painted <laughs> i mean people were even out there being mean to dogs like, exactly like that's right. how that they were that uh that like no just us yes and our so, dogs so right around this time um the 1910 census i believe showed um that like the country was very quickly going to be dominated by cities um because the massive immigration flows had like just swelled the size of cities particularly new york to like these massive new populations um and and, and the same thing with port cities in the West. Like it was, it was just like tons cities had just gathered so many people and it meant that the country was going to change and the shift of power is going to change. And they looked at the reapportionment and were like, okay, well, this is a problem. So they did a reapportionment in 1910 as it, as it was borderline, but then they realized by 1920 that, it would change again and it would very decidedly be after that decade, after World War One, that the country was going to completely shift to being dominated by cities. And it were there were going to be more people living in cities than small towns for the first time in American history. And um, as you can imagine, the more conservative faction, which at this point, I mean, it's it's hard to like get a real read based off of our current political yeah. paradigm, but Democrats have started to build machines in the big cities, in addition to having a solid South because they were super racist and hated Republicans for the whole freeing slaves thing. Go figure. Um, <laughs> that whole Lincoln thing, like you realize Vicksburg did not celebrate July Fourth until after World War II. Like, okay, cool. I don't think they realized. <laughs> I did not know that. Cool. So, like, this is hella racist. But, like, so basically machine politics, weirdly, you had this very weird coalition where Democrats were doing more of, like, the sharing worker common man thing in the cities and then being, again, hella racist and having that lock in the South. And Republicans were like, we are big in the big open spaces. This was big when um, the genocide of native peoples was happening in the West and they were resettling the West and resettling. They were they were murdering all the people in the West um, and, and doing sort of colonialism 
there was a lot of independent, like rugged. If you're from the West, you know this, like they also were the earliest to pass like suffrage laws for women because right, women right. were necessary. They needed women. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah. So they, it was a very different energy and Republicans got a hold of that first and they were very dominant. That's why we have two Dakotas. Getting to the apportionment act itself, they basically in 1920 said, hey, instead of us using this new census that um, like would make us weaker, what about we just use the 1910 census and then cap the number of representatives the House can have? And thus it was done. There's a 435 cap is not natural. It didn't, that wasn't the number. It had been growing for years. It had been growing regularly with each new census as new people came in. But then they were like, oh, the new people are immigrants. um, And we don't fuck with that. So we're just going to not let them get proper representation. It's never been fixed because, you know, America's racist. In 1910, they were just like permanently 435, no matter well, how big the country. 1920 oh, yes. was the census that showed it was done, done, done. So they went back to the 1910 census, which was. That's m- right. Yeah. And they used the 1910 census Shady. for the 1929 Permanent Apportionment Act. And there you go. I mean, that's as like, I mean, we know that in a matter of 20 to 30 years, as you were talking about them starting to realize that it was going to concentrate in cities, we're at a point where we know we're a couple decades away from most people in this country not being lily white, like most people being of some mixed background and you're seeing the same. So like, yeah, the practical impacts of this are that obviously it's crazy that there were how many million people then? And there's like 330 now. Back then, there were about 200,000 people in one district, and it is 700,000 on average now. Some have bigger, um, many have smaller. And like, I think people have forgotten because of this that like your house member is supposed to be able to help you. Like, if you are somebody that needs help getting your child tax credit, that's something that your house member should be able to help you with. I mean, I'm going through mine too. I forgot I could even get help with my passport, but it's probably not that likely because they have more important things to do. And there are 700,000 people in my district. So there are like, as I was researching this for today, I just think there are like, it made me think that people are so disconnected from their government and the idea that government should serve them that that it's just that's why they're not. I'm like, why aren't people constantly questioning this? This is crazy because it's because people are like, well, what am I really losing? I don't I don't rely on my government. They're unreliable. They're unreliable anyway. Yeah. And that's the huge the huge damage of the Permanent Apportionment Act is that it really dim. It really undid the purpose of the House of Representatives. Um, overwhelmingly, like. People talk a lot about incumbency advantage in in the House, um, which is very strong. It's even stronger, I think, than it is in the Senate. Um, but incumbency, basically, it, it was so strong for so long because, yeah, your your job as a House member was overwhelmingly constituent services. Mm-hmm. You were rated on how well people could get to you and how easy it was to get things done through your office. Um, let's talk about the fact that there's not is super strong um, th- that there's that there's not enough pay for staffers right now. Yeah, um, the staffs need to be significantly larger to handle the the size of these house districts, and that stuff hasn't changed in fucking ever. I think Stephen Breyer should give up his salary. Is what I've decided. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Breyer gets paid two hundred and fifty grand a year. Let's let's talk about how many how many people like to give up their salaries. Oh my god, I, you know. 
a lot of Congress people are the Congress. Congress is like the one percent. It's like the top one percent. It's 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 very small number of people, and they have extraordinary wealth relative. Um, and that's its own structural problem too. Like if we had smaller house districts, it would take less money to get into Congress. Um, because oftentimes you need to have a certain amount of money and a background that allows you to afford running for office, which is a very intensive process. So I think about all of that and, you know, there's just a lot of problems with it. We need, we need a bigger house. Like it's outrageous. I mean, like fucking England has like significantly more, they have like a third of our population and 90, they're hundred million people or something like what the fuck. And it is strange that the, because of how we have it, like, places lose representation. Every 10 years, these are reapportioned. That's how, you know, New York lost a seat. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So whenever we talk about this, I struggle with, I firmly like do believe that the way our Congress works is not democratic. And I believe in adding DC statehood and doing something about this. But I just, I worry about the backlash. Like when I see tweets that are like, combine the Dakotas, do this. It's like, to me, that is just such good messaging for Republicans to be able to say, like, they don't even want you to exist. Like if I lived in in Wyoming or something and people were constantly saying that I shouldn't have two senators, and I leaned conservative, like I, I might, that might be enough for me to be like, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to vote. Like that would really bother me if I was already primed to oppose Democrats that they are out there saying, you guys don't even matter. I mean, I I think your answer is going to be, we can't stop anticipating how they're going to politicize everything, but 
That's my no, challenge. I mean, you should. First of all, uh, one of the biggest issues I think with a lot of progressive framing is this notion that like once you get what you want, like your opposition stops existing. And I was like, that's not how it, that happens. So you really have to do, you do have to think about through the consequences, but the real thing is about making sure this country can succeed long-term. And the country is simply, yeah. Republicans in particular have stopped, have stopped even looking forward. We've, it was really interesting because I, I did a huge read of a newspaper like every day between 1896 and 1901. Um, <gasps> like it was, it was for a research project. For oh, okay. A book. Yeah. It. it was someone else's book and I was a researcher on the book. Oh, cool. Um, it was really cool. And I, I got to learn about some really cool stuff. Um, but the most important thing is like you, you do almost like a time machine because you're mm -hmm. literally reading what like people were reading for their regular news and you were like catching up on news. And there's so many little stories that like, obviously don't make it into our books today. Like, why would anyone yeah. care about this stuff? Um, so if everyone's wondering, like they had their equivalent of the OJ trial and that shit was wild. I got it. Uh, I really hope there's a true crime podcast out there that covers that. There was a lot of violence in society. Like we've come down very far. People <laughs> yeah. are here being like, we're all dying. I'm like, Aah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And, but most importantly, is the fact that people of that time were constantly like thinking about the future and talking about how they're living in these unprecedented times and like not in a bad way. They were really excited about what was coming next and were thinking about what the world would look like in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And our society is not doing that. I our haven't thought about that in so long. Like our society is literally not not thinking about the future at all. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying that we're so stuck on presentism that we aren't even thinking like, okay, so who are we going to be in, in 50 years? And they were completely wrong about their guesses in many ways. <laughs> but it's, it is really interesting to see, like, they still had a hope. They were excited about what was coming next. And that, that continued and persisted in times of peace and, and acceleration. You know, the same thing in the 50s, where they were, again, looking forward to us having jetpacks or whatever the fuck, like, I want yeah. one. It's a lot. <laughs> anyway. But like, we don't do that. And as we're looking at the structure of the country, we need to start asking, like, is this government built to last? Because it's it doesn't look like it's doing its job. And we need to start making that the focus rather than, oh, we we want political power because like that's a temporary thing. You know, the question is whether or not like if we want to preserve Wyoming as it is, I mean, and maybe there's really good reason for that, but we need consensus and we need people to feel comfortable talking about it and get, engaging in real conversations about how we're going to solve our fucking problems and not, oh, you just want to fuck me over. This, this is not a healthy future mentality, you know, and shifting that focus is how you avoid the messaging battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, especially, I think like, when we're talking about, you know, the West and like the Midwest, it's, it's easy to say, like, I think it's, it's to question the representation there should be followed up with like, well, those people, like they're farm workers, the, the, the Republicans who get elected in states with a lot of farm workers with no rights, who are probably out there in like a hundred degree heat today, picking the food that we're going to eat. Like, of course I want their voices to matter, but they, I, I, you could probably easily argue that the way that things are set up, they don't. They just don't either because they're not they're not voting. They don't have the right to vote. Um, so I feel like adding to it, it's like we're not just saying that Wyoming shouldn't have representation or there should be one Dakota. I would never. I'm not saying that ever. But like 
I think it's like in order for our government to have a future and function, unfortunately, that does rely on democratic control. And if you look at the way our democracy has been broken, it's like the control has been stolen from us. So it's like we're always like they're always going to frame it as us like seizing it back. But if you just look at the facts, it's very clearly like not. Also, there should also only, I'm sorry, Dakotans. I'm so sorry, but there really should only be one Dakota. The only reason that state is split in two is because literally Republicans wanted to double their their representation in the I didn't know that about the Dakotas. It, it was literally just political. There's no reason for you to be two states. There's no, no, there's, there, there's, it's inefficient. There's just nothing, there's nothing there that makes it worth. I'm so sorry. I know that people are going to take that real bad, but like, there are more people in my neighborhood than there are in the Dakotas. Like, this is a problem for me. Yeah, it's just a matter of democracy. It's not that nobody thinks that people across the country shouldn't have representation, but it's like, as we've talked about, it's like, it, it's, it's not working. It is not working. And I'm massively underrepresented. Like, if you're talking about, like, me suppressing your voice, like, my voice is suppressed right now. Yeah. My, my voice doesn't have the ability to carry. The, there's suppression inside Dakotas as well. It would be easier to actually get more support for marginalized people in the Dakotas if they were merged. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Pointing out the obvious, which is, like, change is always difficult. It's really important to think about why you're changing things. It's really important to ask why things came into being in the first place. If your argument is, well, that's just how it's always been, you are making a bad argument and you should stop and think about what the efficacy of it is, because that's the point of like our politics has gotten completely fucked. We're completely organized into ideological camps that are about being right about like the moral positioning rather than actually asking if this is going to solve the problem and our job is to solve the problems of the country and Republicans have turned it into a culture war because they are white supremacists who are bent upon returning to a time of racial hierarchy that allows for massive, massive resource hoarding by white people at the expense of everyone else. And there are a lot of white people who bought into that. And for some explicable reason, we need to continue coddling their feelings instead of pointing out that this is a completely fucked way to live and it's going to kill all of us eventually. Yeah. And even in Montana, I feel like that's basically they describe themselves that way, but just like with a slight sheen, (laughs) like they barely even like complain about it anymore. But I mean, I, I read this morning, I found this notable that the average district size is actually largest in Montana. And that's one of those states that I think you would think people say, oh, no, they should have less. It's too big and empty. It's like, no, you're not getting you're not getting the representation you deserve either, because it's always just reapportioned. Nowhere, nowhere is added. I know tons of young people have moved to Montana, and that's not like so far reflected in the representation. We'll end there. Thank you for asking for that topic. We will definitely come back to it until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.